1: and definitely check out those shows as well. Andrea Yariura-Clark is the author of On a Night of a Thousand Stars. She grew up in Argentina amid the political turmoil of the 1970s until her family relocated to North America. After graduating from Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service, including a year of study at the Universidad del Salvador in Buenos Aires and completing her MBA at York University in Toronto, Canada, she returned to Buenos Aires to reconnect with her roots. By the 1990s, many sons and daughters of the disappeared, the youngest victims of Argentina's military dictatorship in the 1970s, were coming of age and grappling with the fates of their families. She interviewed several of these children and their experiences not widely known outside Argentina, which inspired her debut novel. Andrea lives in Brooklyn with her husband, two sons, and a spirited terrier. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your novel on a night of a thousand stars.
2: Thank you so much, Sibby, for having me. It's a total pleasure.
1: Well, thank you for whisking me off on all of these adventures around the world. I actually went to Buenos Aires during business school on one of our like, you know, retreats, or I don't even know what you call them, where a whole group of us go to another country. So I have like a visual of my own to compare some of the scenes to, uh, which just made it that more interesting. But, oh my gosh, even the food. I I don't even like lamb. And there's some scene in here where everybody's like sitting around having this like lamb dinner. And I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like, I want to be in that scene right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so happy transporting
2: you there. I have to say that that was really one of the highlights. I mean, can you say highlight of the pandemic? But I was able to be lost in that world, you know? just be transported to and food is a big part of my life and Argentine culture. Yep. So I think that's why it, it, it appears a lot in the book. I had to delete some scenes. <laughs> 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 uh, because it was just too much. But yeah, my heart, when I think of Argentina, I often think about the food that I miss and the wine and just the get gathering of family or friends for a lunch that will start at one and finish at four, followed by coffee, pastries. And then maybe you'll go on to like, you know, your aperitif. Anyway, so you could spend all day, especially in a weekend, you know, maybe in the countryside, but yeah so it was I was in my book so to speak I was living that time again because I was there in the 1990s I had grown up in Argentina but I had left we left sort of in time so I'll tell you a little bit about the, the yes. premise yes. of the yes. book I was I was I was
1: getting there but go ahead okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I can what is talking food? about food for the rest of the um episode. Yeah, we, we, we can do want. that too. But yes, what is your <laughs> book about?
2: <laughs> so, it's a it's two stories, two threads. One takes place in the 1970s with the return of General Peron who had been the president of Argentina in the 1950s and had been forced into exile. His government was overthrown. And so, his return in 1973 is when my novel starts that Period. And it's the story of two university students. It's a love story, basically, against the backdrop of ever increasing darkness in the country. And the second story, the story of a young woman in 1998 who returns to Argentina, has the opportunity to go to Argentina, back to Argentina with her Argentine parents. And she had met at a friend, an old friend of her father's, from his university days, and this woman sparks a curiosity about her father. And so she has this opportunity to do a little digging around around her her, her father's time as a student. and so goes on this sort
1: of journey in doing that. Well, I loved her investigative chops, so to speak, and how as soon as she goes on this trip home or to Argentina and starts asking everyone from family members to people, that she goes on this not wild goose chase because it has results, but this investigation into their lives and who was this woman Grace and how did this mm-hmm. all happen and who are these people? And you can like see her mind putting everything together as she's getting all these clues. So it's very fun. It's like a not a mystery per se, but you know, this like investigative element. And then to see it all actually unfolding at the same time, it was very neat the way you did it. It's, it made for just very vibrant, like exciting read where you, you can't wait to get to both storylines again, because they're so enmeshed. Anyway, it was very, very interesting culturally. And from a a reader standpoint, like edge of your seat type of, of reading as well. Well, thank you. Tell me about, I know that as you've mentioned already, your your family was from there, but you also have this whole background, which you knew about families and kids and people who would disappear during that time of dictatorship, so to speak. So tell me a little more about that time, what you knew from your own anecdotal, like what that looked like for you growing up and then mm-hmm. why spend however long sort of fictionalizing it here. Tell me more about where that came from.
2: Okay, yeah. So I moved back to Buenos Aires in the mid-1990s. And well, it was around that time that there were some headlines about a former naval officer who confessed to some atrocities that they had denied. So the gu- the dictatorship was over by the time I arrived. But he came forward and confessed that some of these awful atrocities, atrocities that they had committed had actually occurred. At the same time, I met a young man, well, who's my peer, who told me about his father having been assassinated during the 1970s. And that really sparked my curiosity about the children, my generation, whose parents had disappeared. We fortunately left in time. My father could have been a target. He was a writer, a poet. His editor had been disappeared and he was also psychiatrists psychiatrist and therapists were being targeted. So I did not know that, of course, when we left and even up until the nineties, when I was a full fledged adult, my father never talked about it really. So like a lot of families, in Argentina, people weren't talking about it. But so my curiosity, much like Paloma's was, well, she was intrigued about her father and I became intrigued about these children. And so I went, I was able to find out that they were meeting, they were starting to meet at this human rights center. And so, and, and they accepted me. They let me sit in on their meetings. And so I, I just thought these stories need to be documented. At that point, they were support group, and then they became more activists. And so my initial plan had been to interview them, which I did, and then start documenting them on film. And then I met my husband, life took over, we moved to New York, and I, I came back with an unfinished documentary. This is in the early 2000s. But what happened was that the stories of these Hijos, children stayed with me, and I thought I would try some creative nonfiction pieces. I tried, made a screenplay. These were all these different iterations that eventually led me to write fiction many years later when they still wouldn't leave me alone. I'd had my children, I was working. So I decided that I would try to write fiction. This is my first attempt, it's my first novel. And it was, you know, it took me many years, but it was, it was a, it was worthwhile. I thought I thought that if I could at least get it on the page and have a few people look at it, or even have my children read it one day, that was my approach. Very low bar.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's the way to go because I feel. I mean, like- I
2: was yes. I think I was a mother because you know we had, we moved around for my husband's work, so I had to leave my you know, my career aside for a while, which is okay. But so this was a great opportunity for me to be able to t- do it. But I was like running to school, picking up the kids, you know, they had their activities, but I would carve out a little piece of time for myself. And I was very quiet about it to be, you know, I didn't have an MFA or, you know, I had friends who were authors who later on became a great group, uh, support group, giving me advice on how, you know, to get the manuscript read, introducing me to people. So I was very fortunate. We were all moms together and our kids, we, you know, we had met through our kids. So I was very lucky also to have that support.
1: Well, it's lucky to have the support, but you're also really talented and also really open to it as well. I mean, you could have just bypassed that whole thing. I love this idea of you quietly working on this. You know, I, when I started my podcast, I was like, I'm just gonna do this over here in my bedroom and not tell anyone. You know, I, I feel like there's some risk, right? You're putting yourself out there or mm-hmm. you don't want to be a failure or something. So you're like, I'm just gonna like, you know, take this little thing. You know, making <laughs> it in my bedroom as well. Yes.
2: <laughs> and luck I mean my husband knew, but he wouldn't ask questions. He knew that I was up to something, but it was great. Kind of just like And not feeling the pressure either. I mean, I don't know how, if you felt a lot of pressure. I mean, you were doing a podcast. I was really just, it was my own thing. I didn't have to share it with anybody if I didn't want to. But I think it was important just to have that time first. And then, yeah, then you slowly start telling people about it, right? That's what I did. And asking for huge favors of friends. (laughs) Read it. Um, I'm so grateful to them too.
1: Those initial rough, rough drafts going through them. Yes. So, did you write one storyline before the other? Like how did you okay. do that? That's a great
2: question. Because I felt more comfortable with with Paloma's story, that's the name of my protagonist in the 1998 story. I really initially was just her story with very brief flashbacks to the 1970s because her story is, is remained the same. When I eventually landed an agent who turned out to be the best one, that's the other thing I would say is don't give up. I, I There were several agents who were always very nice, but would pass on the manuscript, but with some, some of them with some really nice feedback. But when she took me on and she was able to get, you know, gave me her notes, said, we really need to dive. You need to make a deeper dive into the 1970s. And... It's interesting that I was sort of avoiding that. And I think because we grew up in Argentina and those of us who grew up outside of Argentina as well with the silence around it, our families didn't, weren't talking about it. So I feel like I was doing the same and not able to look at that chapter. Luckily by then, in um, the 2000s, we had these great um, books by journalists who had uh, historians in Argentina. So that was what I did. I did a lot of research and I wrote the 1970s as if they were a separate novel because that's what my agent, Johanna, Johanna Castillo, she's wonderful, said just this is a different novel, not a different, but just to, you know, just write it separately. And so I did that. And then I, when it was, when I was ready, I tried alternating them and it sort of, they all fell into place. I had to work around that a little bit, but they naturally aligned. It was really great. But yeah, the 1970s came later.
1: So interesting. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what it would have been like as two different books, you know?
2: I yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I have to say that it gave me really the possibility to learn much more about our history. And in it, and it brought back memories of my time there as a child. It gave me that opportunity to talk to family, friends. And so it was really a, a kind of a different journey for me too, as a child from the 1970s in Buenos Aires.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
0: premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
1: I kind of love this uh, Paloma. One relationship situation, tell me a little bit about that because you have from the start the sort of flirtation and and all of that. Tell me about like building that up and and everything so
2: Paloma and the <laughs> young man she meets Franco because she has her first boyfriend is Juan, and then Franco comes around um he's yeah, he is an activist, and he Not to give too much away, but she is when well, when she's doing her, she appears at this human rights center. She sneaks into a file room where there's she finds some file cabinets and he catches her, but she wheezes her way out of it. And they and there's some sort of yeah, attraction from her about this this interesting young man who then introduces her to all these other people who she learns have had a very different upbringing from hers. She lives a very sheltered life. The Life of Privilege in New York, which she's uncomfortable with, but she still recognizes that. And so she, you know, she's only going to be in Buenos Aires for a short period of time, but she's attracted to him. And so anyway, they run into each other again another time and she takes the first step. As he says, like he's not used to having a woman ask him out for a drink or a coffee. It's true. Argentinian. I mean, maybe that has changed, but definitely in the 90s, it was still like that. Love it. That women didn't necessarily take the first step. Who, who would someone. you
1: who would you cast as Paloma in a movie? That's a great question. I, if if I could, if if
2: it didn't matter how old they are now, but like in any time in their in their um, acting career, I would say someone. Well, like a Penelope Cruz, mm-hmm. maybe. Did you know? I don't know if you know Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's actually Argentinian English. Okay. So. She
1: could be wonderful too. Wow. So it's been a couple months, as we were discussing earlier, as I was apologizing, since your book came out. What has been the reaction? What has been something surprising or most rewarding about people falling into this novel and what they've learned and what you've gotten out of their reactions? Well, I,
2: I love that it has gotten the conversation started with some Argentinians that I knew, Mm-hmm. That didn't, that would not have told me before about their own family's experience. There seems to have always been someone within. So people say it was just part of the country was affected by it, but the entire, all of society was affected by this dictatorship. So some people have come forward that I've known for a long time, told me, shared their stories with me. For the American readers, so many have apologized for not knowing about this history. And I, And I tell them they don't have to. I mean, even in Argentina, children are not really being taught. They'll know all the names. They'll learn the names of all the presidents and dictators, but they don't go into in depth into what happened at the time. But it's been wonderful to hear also from readers that my book has spurred, spurred them on to like do more research and to learn more about that time. They keep saying, oh, I would go on Google or I would like, you know, and then what other books can I read? So that's great. That's, that's been really nice to hear. And others have said how much it resonates with what's happening mm-hmm. today, you know, that history repeats itself well in different
1: parts of the world, sadly, unfortunately. I mean, I literally can't believe the stuff that is going on, right? It's hard, like how are, it's just hard to, wrap your head around and yeah. then and then sort of like get up and have your day as normal when this no. stuff is going on. I mean it's, it's really no. anyway, it's uh it's very unsettling yes, and disturbing yes, is and and all the other things. But anyway, well now that you have sort of masterfully written this novel and it may have started out quietly, but now there is attention on you and uh your skills and all the mm-hmm. rest are you working on another novel? Do you feel a lot of pressure? Like, what is it like for you now? I
2: am working on another novel and I'm so glad that I, it was suggested to me that I think of a second one because I thought that was all I had in me, Zibi. Uh-huh. I mean, I didn't grow up thinking I want to be a writer. No, it was just like, oh, I have this story and how am I going to get it told? How am I? So I thought, okay, I wrote the book, I'm done. But In doing my research for when I started to write the 1970s, I came across something else that made my, made me just my, made me so upset to find out that that had also happened. That during this time, the 1970s, 80s, that I held on to that and I've sort of come up with another story. It's sort of a sequel. It'll follow another family and it's it based around true events. So it'll be the later part of the dictatorship. So it's hopefully that is what I'm working on. And it's great to have this project as I also do my book tour and events. It's, I don't know, it's just nice. It's again for me that quiet time. Yeah. Um, I'm sharing it with you. And a couple of people know that um, I am doing this. So we'll
1: see. We'll see. I what won't happens. tell anybody. I won't.
2: Tell anybody. <laughs> 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 I'll keep it very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> But it's nice to be back in that space again, I have to say. Yeah. And it's just sort of right at this point, it's just like I'm telling myself the story. That's what it, this is. Again, like no pressure. Let's see what happens. Just get yeah. on the
1: page. No pressure. There aren't that many things I feel like we do these days, like with the craziness and the pace of modern life that that you do without, that you can't do while being distracted and interrupted. But right. I think that's some of what's so powerful about writing. It's like, yeah, I could tell, I, I might have to carve out time. Like I'm going to take these two hours and I, you know, but while you're in it, your brain is just so engaged and the, like your imagination. So at work that you can't possibly multitask while you're doing yeah. it. Right. So it, it's so in, rejuvenating really. Cause like multitasking is so draining when you think about mm-hmm. it. So I feel like When you can take these times of like engaging with your brain and imagination and stories, then how can you not like re-enter life a little bit fortified? Yeah, absolutely
2: right. But don't you find that sometimes your best ideas come when you've left your desk and your computer where you're writing and then suddenly pops something, you know, when you're like cooking or like driving your kid to his like soccer practice. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And you want to pull over to the side and write down. I mean, my mind, it just can't retain that much. (laughs) So you have to write it down. But so that's, that's why for me, it's always better to work in the morning, right in the morning, because it Mm -hmm. seems like then still percolates as I go on with my day and doing whatever I have to get done, you know, and that's when sometimes problems get resolved.
1: Yep. You know, I went to bed last night, like with this great, I had like some really interesting ideas going, and I was like really excited about it and talking about it. I was like, "All right, I have to go to sleep." And then I woke up, story. I was like, "My brain kept going. Like, I have answers to some of these things. Oh. Like, it didn't stop just because I slept, which is great." <laughs> so oh. it's neat, it's, but yeah, very satisfying when that happens. You, you know don't right take, the, yeah, if you don't take the moments though of the quiet, then you can't get the other stuff. I don't know. This is sounding very hokey, but I hope you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. And what do your kids think about this, that you spent all your, you know, you were so in it with the kids and all the activities and the moms and all of this, and now suddenly here you are a novelist. Well, they're very, they've been very proud of me. I feel like they, they now
2: understand a little bit about what I was doing. You know, they would tell their friends, again, this took me we eight years, so they were young, really young. They would just say, oh, yeah, my, my mom is working, you know, <laughs> like, but they weren't sure what I was doing. um I had my little project. So it's been, it's been really nice to share, you know, the final, I didn't want anybody reading it, like, when until it was actually the final copy was out. Um, because one of my oldest son was like, when can I read it? My my friends know that you have a book coming out. I want to read it before it comes out. I said, No, 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 just wait until the, the real thing comes out. So yeah, it's that's been that's been really nice. And of course, during the pandemic, we all had our little spaces. So that was also nice for me. Although it was terrible that they couldn't go to school, they they did a Zoom that, that first year. Basically, the whole year, but we would all take breaks at the same time. I felt like I was a student, like I was in school too. It was kind of fun. And because they were in class all day, I felt like I had, to, so I was really productive. <laughs> we were all at our desks. So that was very helpful. That huh. was the editing stage too, you know, when they were at home online. Wow.
1: Well, you're a really great writer. I mean, seriously, you're, I mean, the historical stuff is great, but also just being, in Paloma's head. And i like how you did the first person and the third person. And I don't, it was just so interesting the whole way through. So I don't know, I'm very impressed and it's a great, great book and you should be very proud. So I'm delighted to have had a chance to chat with you about it and to have met you in person at your launch party, which was so nice. So yeah, I'm just so excited for you. It's really inspiring and awesome. Thank you, Sylvie. It's been so fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Me too. And uh, and you're in New York, right? We should, uh, our paths need to start crossing more.
2: <laughs> okay, well, so yes, we have a couple of friends in common. Yes. Yeah, so I would love that. Rachel Horowitz, Guru Hendricks.
1: I love yeah. that; They're both amazing. That's yeah. yes. awesome. All right. Yeah, okay. Bye, <laughs> so Suvi. Thank you, Andrea. Have a great day. And thanks. You too. Thanks. Congrats Bye. again. Okay, bye-bye. Thank <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.